We want to be able to take the gospel wherever we go, and we're going to see that this morning. In fact, the very reason that God has called you into his kingdom is, as we'll see today, you are being built up to proclaim his praises to the world around you, okay? That's what God is trying to accomplish. We're going to see that here in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Read with me here. We'll read verse 4 all the way down through verse 10. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, if you're sitting there and you just read through that and went, huh? We're going to come back and talk about it. There's a lot of pictures that Peter is using here. We're going to try to explain a lot of that as we go. But as we go through, there's going to be some more. So just know that that's there, and we're going to come back to it. Verse 6, for it stands, it's Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as we go through this, I want to make three observations about what it means for us to be built up to proclaim his praises, okay? First thing that we're going to see is Peter is calling us to recognize our connection to Christ. Recognize your connection to Christ. This is something that's so vitally important, we come back to it often. You have to understand that that when you got saved, you didn't simply affirm a set of principles as if it was like um, kind of you read through Marcus Aurelius's meditations and so you decide I want to be a Stoic and so I'm going to just kind of go off of these Stoic principles in life. No, you are coming to a person. When Jesus saved you, you came into a relationship with God. Here's how Peter describes it again in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. That's how he describes Jesus. He starts by saying he's a living stone. Why is he a living stone? Well, that's a phrase we've seen already back in chapter 1. Remember he said that we have a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead? So he's saying Jesus is a living stone. He is alive. He is a person. He's real. Right now, he is sitting enthroned in heaven and waiting for the day for him to come back and rescue and redeem the rest of humanity. You're not to set his kingdom on earth. Not everybody's going to get saved, okay? Just so you know. Um, it would be great if that's what happened, but that's not what God tells us the end of the story is. Rather, he's going to be exalted and receive the reign and the rule that he's supposed to have. He's going to exert his authority, and those who follow him will be honored, as we'll see in a minute, and those who don't will be rejected from him, Okay? As he does this, he's a living stone. Now, we're going to come back to the idea of him as a stone in a little bit when he picks up the idea that Jesus is the cornerstone from which we build our life. But as he does, he goes back to the living thing. Like I said, 1-3, we saw that he's our living hope because he's been raised from the dead. So he is the living stone upon which we build our lives. Now, notice what else Peter says. 
He's a living stone rejected by people. As he's talking about Jesus, this is something we saw clearly throughout our study in the Gospel of John. In fact, if you were with us last fall when we started, you might remember in John 1.11, it said, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to do ministry, to, to work and to serve and to, and to honor, Jesus, or honor the Father as, as he went through his ministry and to point people to God and to a relationship with him. But the very people who should have received him rejected him. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like how challenging it was. They didn't like how different it was. They didn't like the fact Jesus called them out, and so they rejected him. Yet, despite rejection, he was chosen and honored by God. That's what he says there, right? Uh, Verse 4, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. Now, you remember what we saw in in chapter 1, verse 20? It said that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was set apart to redeem humanity. God the Father chose Jesus to be the agent who would be the one to rescue us. When he completed his work, it says that God honored him there in Philippians chapter 2. He says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where Jesus is at right now. He was rejected by people, but chosen by the Father to redeem humanity. And because of that, he was honored so that he has a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Peter says about Jesus. Now, look back at verse 5. We just saw that he said all those things about Jesus. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Wait, Jesus is a living stone. And now you as living stones are being built up into the spiritual house. Peter is showing us that we are uniquely connected to Christ. Now, we're not living stones in the exact same way. I am not the savior of anyone. We are not the saviors of the world. However, just like Jesus is the living stone, he's connecting us with Christ. We have life because God has caused us to be born again through Christ. Now, not only that, think back to verse one, or chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You remember what he said there? He said he's writing to those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father was chosen, and so are we. Now, we're going to see in a few minutes that he also says that he's going to honor those who believe in him. So Jesus was rejected by people, was chosen by God, and honored by God, and serves as a living stone. And we're his people who are also living stones, who've been chosen by God, who are being rejected by people, and will one day receive honor at his appearing. I hope you guys see, again, Jesus is orders of magnitude more of this than we are. We're not going to have a name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Sean is Lord of anything. There is a website where you can get on. They'll sell you a like three-foot square piece of land in Scotland and make you the Lord of that area, okay? So if you, in case you want it, you, they'll send you a certificate that says you are Lord of a particular area. It's like 50 bucks. Um, I've been tempted to do it because at one time I had a life goal that I would be the Honorable Sir Lord Reverend Dr. Couch. Um, and I'm, 
I've got a ways to go. I'm not sure how I'm going to get the knightship. That's the real, that and the honorable. I don't want to be the mayor and I don't want to be a lawyer or a judge. So I'm not sure how I'm going to get honorable out of that. But what's so incredible is as ridiculous as I am, as goofy, as weird, Peter wrote to these Christians who were outcasts in society and said, you are vitally connected to Christ. You feel rejected? Yeah, so did Jesus. But guess what? You know how God chose Jesus before the foundation of the world? He chose you too. Like he honored Jesus, he's going to honor you. I want you guys to rest in this vital connection that we have with Christ. Now, he said, because out of this connection we have, rejected by people, chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, you're a spiritual house being built to be a holy priesthood. Now, he's mixing metaphors there. There's kind of a temple analogy going on as God's taking the the church as a whole, and he's building it up into this spiritual temple, but we're also the priests, he gets ready to say. So if he was in English class, they would dock him for mixing metaphors, but it's the Bible, so he's right, okay? Um, As he's going through this, he's showing us this incredible purpose that God's given us. He's building you up to be a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's all of us. I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor because we're all priests. See, you don't have to come and confess your sins to me and I somehow am a go-between between you and God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You pray directly to him. You don't have to pray through me. You realize you have the exact same access to the throne of God that I do. You know that you can go before God the Father the same way that Billy Graham or Adrian Rogers or David Jeremiah or any of these great preachers. You can do just like Spurgeon did. You have the same access to God because you're connected in Christ. By the way, this is not just an individual thing. He didn't say that I'm making you a priest, although he said it sort of. He said building into a priesthood. The idea is together as a community. Yes, you are individually one who is able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, but all of this language is in the people of God, the community, us together. That's what makes the church different. This is not just a group of people who get together for some kind of meeting where we talk about certain things. We have been set apart by God to represent him to the world. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, what's that mean? Well, we don't do the animal sacrifices anymore because those were fulfilled in Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus died in our place and was buried and rose from the dead as the final sacrifice for sin. So we offer spiritual sacrifices. Uh, John MacArthur gives a list. He said that, we're to, that when we allow God to use all that we are, so our minds, our bodies, we yield everything to him, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When we worship and praise God for who he is and what he's done, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When we do what's right, especially when difficult, that's a spiritual sacrifice. When we're generous with our time, with our resources, with our finances, we're, we're offering spiritual sacrifices to God. When we pray, which by the way, the last few Wednesday night prayer meetings, God has been uniquely working in, and you're missing out if you're not there, okay? I'm just going to say it. 
Um, we are going to take a little bit of a break during the month of July, uh, and so we're going to take Wednesday nights off during the month of July just because everybody's in and out with travel schedules. But when we pick back up in August, it would be great for us to have to move out of the classroom we're in to move back in here because so many folks want to come because you guys are missing out, okay? That's my little commercial for the day. When we pray, we're offering spiritual sacrifices. Then finally, what we're going to see clearly out of this passage is that we help people find out about Jesus, and that's one of the spiritual sacrifices we offer. In fact, that's the one I really want you guys to focus in on today, that part of the spiritual sacrifice, part of my job and your job as a priest of God that he's set aside and built in this spiritual house is for you to tell people who don't know about Jesus about who he is, to proclaim his praises. We're going to see that in a few minutes. By the way, this is the same stuff that Jesus did. He surrendered fully to the Father's plan, yielding everything to him. He gave the Father honor and glory. He did what was right. He was generous to those who need. He demonstrated prayer by praying to the Father. He demonstrated and declared the greatness of God on earth. He took it one step further because he was able to offer the final sacrifice for sin that we can't. But this is what Peter's showing you. As you live life as an exile, as you suffer with Christ, as you go through life separated into this thing that he's called you to do, you're connected with Christ. There's this vital union with him. That should give us hope. That should give us encouragement. Jesus knows everything that's going on. He knows exactly what's taking place. He's been there, done that, and got the scars to prove. So first, Peter begins by reminding us of our connection to Christ. We already alluded to this, but that calls us then to number two, rest in the honor to come. Rest in the honor to come. Verse six, he, goes, he starts using a bunch of Old Testament verses. It stands in Scripture. See, I lay in a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So using quotes from the Old Testament, Peter points out that Jesus is the cornerstone that we build our life on. How many of you guys have been watching with excitement as the new sheets is being built? Okay. I am a sheets freak. I am going to be poor and fat as soon as that thing opens. Um, I love me some sheets. But you know what I notice? I, you know, I drive past it multiple times a day since I work out here. I noticed that they graded the property they poured the slab, and the first thing they did was set one beam. I don't know if you guys noticed that. There was this one beam that I think is, ends up being the, the corner that's the corner of the entryway when you go in. And for a few weeks, I didn't see any other steel going up. There was just this one post that was right there in the corner, and it sat there. You know what I realized? That's what they use as basically the cornerstone. They build from that point. They measure from that point. Everything orients itself around that point so that they can then build the rest of the sheets. That's what the cornerstone is. It's the perfectly square cut piece that goes at the bottom of the building that says, this is the corner, this is where it is. You build everything else off of here and above here. That's what Jesus is to be for our lives. Okay? Some of us want to put Jesus in the corner and say, I'll give him my spiritual stuff. I'll give him Sundays maybe. But, but you know, my job is my job. My family is my family. What we do with our money is our money. I worked hard for that. All of those kind of things. We want to put Jesus over on the side. What Peter says is Jesus is the cornerstone. 
He's the foundation. He's the one upon which we build everything else. He's the one we measure everything that's right and everything that's wrong. It's all based off of what Jesus says and who is. Now, here, with that idea, throughout the entire letter, Peter has been teaching us to look beyond what's happening now to see what God's promised in the future. Part of our hope that we find in this passage is that we will be honored when Christ returns. Okay? Now, looking at that again, the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to those who believe, to you who believe, right? Honor is coming to those who believe. I'm going to pause as we go through this to, to spend a little bit of time again and remind you of something we've talked about. We've mentioned that when Peter was writing this, he was writing to a culture that looked at life differently than we do. We are what's usually considered an innocence and guilt culture. In other words, if you do the time, you do the crime, right? It's if you break this law, you are guilty of it. You pay your fine, you do your time, whatever, and then you're released and it's done. So we look at the Bible through a lens of innocence and guilt, and it's in there. That's what the, the penal substitutionary atonement of the, says, that Jesus took all of that guilt on the cross. There's another layer, though, because in this culture, they were an honor-shame culture. It's hard for us to understand an honor-shame culture. The, the ones that we're most familiar with are those that are still out in the, the Far East, like in Japan and in China. For instance, in Japan, uh, Ryan and Kelly Day, that are missionaries serving in Japan, if, if you were walking across the street in a city and you saw an older woman whose grocery bag burst open and her groceries fell out on the street, what would you do? Stop and pick them up, right? I would hope so. See, here's the thing. In Japan, you would shame her by doing that. She would actually, to do that, she'd have to give you something from her groceries. Otherwise, you've dishonored her because she wasn't able to do it on her own. So here's what happens. In an honor-shame culture, if I do something that goes against the community standards, I'm shunned. I'm ostracized. I lose my family. I lose my business. I get kicked out. In a lot of situations, there's no way back from that. That's the group that Peter's writing to. They were in this honor and shame culture. Some of these folks, by the way, you want a good example in our culture? Some of you are like, this still doesn't make sense to me. Cancel culture. You hear that term thrown around? Cancel culture is the idea that somebody does something, usually a public figure and sometimes not though, somebody does something that goes against the social uh, climate and they get kicked out for it. It goes beyond just holding people accountable for wrong actions. Here's how one writer put it. It's not going to be on the screen. When a person does or says something that runs afoul of current cultural preferences, we cancel that person. We shut her down with names, epithets, and ad hominem attacks. In other words, we go after her as a person, not what she said or what she did. If she's a musician, we call for boycotts of her music. If she's an athlete, we delight in burning her jersey and posting the bonfire on social media. We now hoist the socially guilty onto a pike for all to see as they writhe, justly deserving what they get for having offended the collective. Be warned, we won't engage your ideas. We will engage you and shame you out of existence. You'll get canceled. That's what this whole cancel culture thing is about. Peter was writing to Christians 
who had been canceled because they followed Jesus. Because they stood with Christ, they had been put on the outside. They had been shamed. They had been ostracized. They were losing jobs. They were losing livelihood, homes, families. Their parents wouldn't even speak to them. I don't have a son. Those kind of statements. And to that culture, the gospel says, honor is coming. For those who have been canceled by the world because they love Jesus, one day they will receive honor when he comes. So honor will come to you who believe. We will never be put to shame. All of those today who are speaking out against Christ and about his church will one day be put to shame. And those who stand in Christ will one day be honored with him. It may not be until the very moment he returns. It may not be until he sets things right that he's finally and fully vindicated, and so are you. But the reality is we are to rest in the fact that no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody does, no matter what dishonor I bear for the name of Christ, one day honor will come. One day he'll be proven right and us alongside. Now, that's great. For us, having grown up in a country that's historically allowed us to openly practice our faith, it's really hard to imagine the pain of having the majority of people you know turn your back on you simply because you follow Jesus. But there are believers all over the world, and we may get there, that are facing that depth of pain. You got to remember, guys, there are people in countries right now where it's illegal to talk about Jesus. That's not hyperbole. You will get thrown in jail. You will get killed. An angry mob shows up at a pastor's house, drags him and his wife out into the street, and forces them to strip naked so that they can be pointed at, laughed at, and humiliated in front of them, only because they love Jesus. It's happening now. For those folks, when we experience that same kind of suffering, we need to rest in the honor that's to come. Remember, we saw last week that all flesh is like grass, that God's word stands forever. Now, did you see what fate is waiting for those who don't believe in Christ? Verse 7, so honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobeyed the word, and they were destined for this. Those who reject Christ are destined to be separated from him. Those who refuse to build their lives will stumble over the stone that should have been their foundation. I was struck this week. Do you know how many people in the world are headed to that kind of fate? I don't often quote Joseph Stalin, but Stalin said that the death of a million is a statistic and the death of one is a tragedy. So I don't want you to lose this in the statistics, but I want you to know that four and a half billion people in the globe today are dying without Christ. 
The statistics that the International Mission Board gives us say this. Every day, 157,960 people are dying without Christ. Every day, 150,960 people are dying without Christ. Now, let's put up some numbers to make that real. I can't fathom 157,000 people. According to the 20, 000, or 2020 census data, there are 99,721 people in Montgomery County, 34,782 in Pulaski County, and 16,408 in Radford City. Imagine that everyone who lives from Elliston to Draper dies every What are we going to do about that? What are we going to do when we look around and see 160,000 people a day slipping into an eternity without Christ? That gets to the third part. God set us apart as his people. We're connected with Christ. We'll one day receive honor. But the third thing is the reason he's doing that is so we will represent him to the world. To represent him to the world. Look at verses 9 and 10. You are a chin race. By the way, that's got nothing to do with whether you're white or black. That's got everything to do with the fact that no matter what your background, Jesus saves and sets his followers apart in a chosen group of people. Okay? That's across ethnic lines in any way we put it. You are a part of this royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's two sides of that proclaiming praises. One we did today. As we worship, as we sing together, as we talk, Wednesday night we got off track and everybody was talking about how good our God is. We spent some time just proclaiming the praises to each other of how good God is. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Because, see, there's 157,000 people who are going to die today who don't know who God is, who are not following him, who are not honoring him, and the only way they're going to hear is if we are representing him to the world. You get that I don't work where you do, right? There's only one person that goes to Christiansburg Baptist who lives on my street that I'm aware of. Nobody else. A lot of you guys live in a neighborhood where there's nobody around you that goes, look at the cars on a Sunday morning. When you get ready for church, look and see how many cars haven't moved. Now, maybe they went earlier. Maybe they go to night service. Okay. It's your job and my job to represent Christ to the world, period. There is no plan B. That's why, by the way, because of your, your giving as a church, we were able to help Noah, who's uh, the young man that preached for us in May, we were able to help him to go on a mission trip up to Canada to work with a church planter in Canada who is trying to reach his community with the gospel. 
That's why we've got Mike and Linda Montgomery who right now are at Fort Knox with all of the cadets that are there training for their big summer camp that they'll be there for. They'll be meeting with them in Bible studies starting tonight through the rest of the week to help them to see how their relationship with Christ impacts their service to the, the country in the military. That's why we've got Paul and Rissa Metzler who are down in, in Florida right now training college students how to reach the people around them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're praying about ways we can support a new church plant that's going in in Blacksburg called Pine Church, how we can support folks like Charles Wilson of the Hill Church in Roanoke, which is a young church plant up in Roanoke that is reaching a predominantly black community in an incredibly incredible way. They're representing Christ where they are, but we can't outsource all of this. We're going to send Mike and Linda. We're going to send Paul and Rissa. We're, we're going to send Noah up to Canada. But guys, nobody's coming to your street but you. Nobody's coming to your workplace. Nobody's coming to your doctor's office. Nobody's coming to Kroger but you. What's this look like? I heard about a man, and this is not one of those preacher stories. I heard about a man, this is like from a book, um, Missional Renaissance is the name of the book, was this small group leader was challenged at a conference to start asking people, how can I pray for God to bless you? Now, that's a different spin on it. I've asked people like waitresses and, and cashiers, how can we pray for you today? That, that, I'll do that because, you know, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. How can I pray for you today? But this question is a little bit different. He said, how can I pray for God to bless you? So he got together with his small groups, and he started doing this at the Starbucks that he frequented. They lived in a city, so there were a bunch of Starbucks in this 13-block like area. He would go to this one Starbucks all the time, started asking the baristas, how can I pray for God to bless you today? At first, it was really weird, and they acted weird about it. But as he would sit there and drink his coffee, he started noticing they'd come over to him while they were on their break and say, hey, thank you for asking that. I had this situation. And it started opening doors for him to be able to proclaim the praises of God. So he challenged his whole small group. As they started putting their heads together, they realized their small group frequented every Starbucks in a 13-block radius. He said, what if we saturated it to the point where we said, every barista, every time we go in, how can I be praying for God to bless you today? So they started doing it. A little while later, he was in one of the Starbucks he doesn't usually go in, and he asked the barista, he said, hey, how can I be praying for you? How can I pray for God to bless you? The barista's response was, Oh, are you one of those blessing people? Would to God, would to God that we would be known as a people who proclaim his praises so that the Starbucks barista be like, oh, you must go there. You must be a follower of Christ. Guys, I don't care if they ever come to this church. We want everybody here that can. I, I don't care if they go to Good Shepherd. I don't care if they go to Grace Life. I don't care if they go to North Star. I don't care. I don't care. I want them in a Bible-believing church. I want them to know Jesus, and I want you to be a part of it. So if they know that you love Jesus, and they come to you, and they ask, what's this whole thing about? You are the one who has to proclaim his praises. I'm not there. Now, if you say, I don't know. Let me ask my pastor. I'd be happy to, love to. One of my favorite things to do but you're the one that's at the water cooler. You're the one who's at the doctor's office. Some of these places I literally can't go. I can't just like walk into Moog and be like, hey, I'm just going to wander around and see if anybody wants to talk about Jesus, right? Like that, just, that doesn't work that way. You're connected to Christ. Sean, what if my coworkers reject me? Great, they did the same thing to Jesus. 
What if, what if they make fun of me? Great, the honor's coming. Your job as a part of the priesthood of believers is to join with the rest of creation in declaring that he is the king of the world, to declare his praises. So that maybe five years from now, that number's down to 100,000. That number's down to 50,000. What would it be like? Guys, I, I don't know. What would it be like if one day the IMB said, you know what, guys? There's not much for us to do. Because so many people got saved, they, they don't have a job anymore. Now, beyond this, we're going to see how God wants us to go into the, into the nations as now that COVID's kind of open and travel back up. You know, we're finally getting back to, to doing things. Where does God want us to go in the world to take the gospel where people don't know him as well? By the way, that number, that four and a half billion people, that's talking about unreached people groups. That means that if there's 100 people in this room, only two people or less know who Jesus is and are following him. And four and a half billion people on the planet, out of every 100 of those people, two might know who Jesus is. We have a lot of work to do. But what a privilege. What a privilege to be connected with Christ. So it doesn't matter what happens here. Honor's coming later. We can deal with that later. My job is to represent him to the world. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. Now, this challenge and this charge is for those who are a part of his kingdom. You may be here or you may be watching us online and you're not yet a follower of Christ. First off, I want you to know we're so glad that you're here. We hope that that through all of this, what you're hearing is the goodness of our God that would do so much for us, that he would die in our place and be buried and raised from the dead so that we could have new life and we could be a part of what he's doing. So today, we would love nothing more than for you to make that decision to follow Jesus. If you haven't done that, then why don't you just do it right now? Right where you're sitting or right where you are watching us online, why don't you just sit there and say, God, I don't know what all this is gonna mean, but I know that I've been living life for me and I wanna live life for you. The Bible says that that when I do stuff for me, it's sin. And so I I need you to forgive me for the fact that I've done stuff wrong. And I want to trust that Jesus died for me and and lives for me. And I want to live for him now. If praying that right now or something similar, God's drawing you into his kingdom. Why not rest in that? Rest in what God's doing. And then rejoice in the fact that you're on the team now. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Now for us as a church, for those here who who know Jesus, how are you doing with representing him in the world? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus that you think doesn't know anybody? or know who Jesus is, or know, have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, you may be a Christian for so long that if you're honest, you say, Sean, I don't really know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Would you pray for God to change that? For God to help you to see 
which of your neighbors you need to go talk to this week. And I'm talking literal, physical, lives down the block from you, lets their grass grow too long, whatever it is, needs to know Jesus. Would you ask God to to give you the boldness to be able to ask the cashier or the waitress or the nurse or the coworker or just the random person standing in front of you in that painfully slow line? Hey, how could I pray for God to bless you today? Represent him to the world. Because those who don't build their life on Christ are destined to be separated from him forever. Take some time and do business with God. If you need to talk with me, I'll be down front. If not, you just respond there where you are as he leads. Father, we thank you that you're a God who is so, so good, as the song that Daniel's been playing says. You're so good that it's not hard to talk about your praises and to honor you because you really are that great. So God, would you give us the ability to push past our discomfort? And just to start with those kind of questions about how can I be praying for God to bless you today? To start with those things that say, hey, I'm sorry, you you look upset today. Is there anything I can pray for you about? I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Would you give us the boldness? Because that feels so scary sometimes. It's so uncomfortable. And in those moments, would you remind us of the fact that we're connected to Jesus? that there's nothing that anybody could ever do to us that they didn't already do to him. And and just like you honored him, that one day you're going to honor us who believe in his name. Thank you for this privilege we have of representing you, of, of being who you've called us to be. Would you be exalted and honored through the way that we live, the way we represent you? Give us your strength this week. Make us your representatives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.